We're thankful, God, to have your word, Lord. It's, it's quick and powerful, living and active, God. It's something that as we read it, Lord, it does something uh, that no other book on this planet can claim to do, but it penetrates our heart, our mind, our soul. And the, the risen Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords, uses that book by his Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And I pray that, Lord, you do that today, God, that you minister uh, to us right where we're at, Lord, and that we'd hear the things that we need to hear today. Uh, that you'd bless your church, Lord, and, and uh, that you'd lead us beside still waters, Lord, and into green pastures this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. If you would, uh, turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, familiar passage, probably for many people. Um, it's the story of Lazarus as he dies. And Jesus raises him from the dead. Um, in the garden, death wasn't a part of God's program. Uh, we weren't pre-wired to know how to handle death and sickness and suffering. In the garden, it wasn't there. Uh, and so to cope with that at any age, in any factor, in any way, is very difficult. But we see uh, uh, that Death comes to this town, to this family, here in John chapter 11. And it starts out in verse 1, we get to know this family. This is a family that Jesus is very familiar with and friends with these people. It says this, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. And it's the town of Mary and her sister Martha. These were Jesus' dear friends. They get a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of Bible action here, you know. Uh, we, when Jesus probably stops at their house on the way to Jerusalem, we're going to find out it's only two miles away from Jerusalem. So Jesus, it was probably a frequented house that he stops. We're going to see, uh, if you look in Luke chapter 10, it's where Mary and Martha are serving, you know, Martha's serving, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet just taking in his word, Right? Uh, in the next chapter, we're going to see Jesus at their house, and that's where Mary is anointing his feet, right? Martha's willfully, gladly serving. That's what she does. That's who she is. She's a servant. And, and Lazarus is there. And so this is a place Jesus knew this family, and we're going to get more information there as we read. Uh, but but this is... This is uh, this is a place where Jesus was... Now, imagine, you know, Jesus comes to your house. Even once is amazing, but he, he probably stops there quite a bit. This is a family that he cares about. He knows. In fact, they send people in a minute, uh, send a messenger and says, hey, the one that you love is sick. Uh, and imagine the stories that they've heard. Jesus is sitting in your house, eating, I'm sure. We see Jesus with his disciples eating frequently, uh, so imagine the stories that the disciples are telling, that Jesus is telling, of people that he healed and touched uh, along the way. People would touch his garment. He'd stop at a pool. All these different things, amazing things. And this is how they saw him. He's a healer, a miracle worker, a friend. More than all that, he's a friend. This is my close friend. I spend time with him. And sometimes, as a believer, it's hard to reconcile your walk, your relationship, 
your friendship with Jesus Christ with pain and suffering and death. That can be very difficult. And that's what this family is going to have to work through and, and, and work. Uh, Jesus is going to work with them through this because it's coming. And, and the reality for you and I, no one here is exempt from pain and suffering and death. So imagine the stories. So this man is sick. And Jesus, we leave off in chapter 10. He's about 20 approximately miles away in Bethabara. And so he's sick, and it says, verse 2, this is something that, that John, 50 years later, John is recording this for us 50 years later. After this event, it says this, that it was that Mary who anointed the Lord, Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So imagine uh, uh, John can't help when he talks about this family to talk about the times that they've been there and what, what's happened in their family. And he can't help but talk about this woman that anointed Jesus' feet. It's 50 years ago this happened. And John fast-forwards something and reminds, uh, reminds himself and us of, of who these people are to him and, and how that impacted his life, right? And, and Paul tells Timothy, if you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy 4. Paul tells Timothy this. In verse 12, he says, Let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. Right? And that word example means to leave a mark in someone's life. To leave a mark. Be an example to the believers in word, in what you say, how you talk, the jokes you tell, the language you use, and I'm not talking about Spanish and Chinese. Be an example in word, in conduct, at your actions. That's what you're doing that people are watching. Not only what you say, you think your kids are only listening to what you say, but but what you say to them and their response oftentimes hinges on what you're doing and how you're acting. He says, be an example in what you say and what you do, in love, in your charity, in your compassion, in spirit. That's your attitude. What kind of, I mean, yeah, I gave them five bucks. They asked me for it. Was that your attitude? Keep your money, right? Or I helped my neighbor do this, or whatever it is. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to shovel their driveway, right? Man, don't tell them you're a Christian, please. Be an example. In love, in spirit, in faithfulness. That's what it means, in faith. In faithfulness. Are you faithful? 
Is your, is your life an example of someone who's faithful, so dependable, someone you can count on? You're on time. You're not zapping your, your boss for money, gabbing in the corner, right? Are you faithful in the things God's called you to do in your job? Because everybody knows you're a Christian. You bring your Bible, you got the bumper stickers. And impurity. Paul says, leave a mark, Timothy. Doesn't matter how old you are, you're not too young to leave a mark. Be an example, Timothy. And that's, that's really what Mary does. She, she etches a mark in John's conscience, in his mind, his thoughts, something that left such an impression, he'll never forget it. Fifty years later, he's, he can't help but not only record it in chapter 12, but he has to record it in chapter 11 here for us too. He has to remind us who this woman is. That's the kind of mark. That the, listen, I, I'm looking at my kids. You know, I've got uh, two graduates, three graduates now, uh, and, and it seems like every year... I've got another one this year. I've got them coming up, you know. And, and the, the time for me as a dad to leave a mark in my kids' lives is, is the, that window's closing, right? What an opportunity you have as a mom or a dad to leave a mark on your kids' lives while they're in your home. You can still leave them when they're gone, but they're, they're not as much, right? You just don't see them as much. You, you don't have the same amount of time with them. I hope it's a good mark you're leaving. Because you're leaving a mark. You're leaving a mark. And he says, he's he's reminded of this story of Mary who was a worshiper. And and we're not going to read the story, but she goes there and she breaks this fragrant, costly oil and she's criticized by Judas. And, And Judas gets all the disciples stirred up about it like, what we could have sold that ointment, that oil, for so much money and given the money to the poor. And John says, and the only reason Judas said that is because he held the bag. He was the bookkeeper. He was the guy that held on to the money and he distributed the money. And he'd say, a little for you, a little for me. Right? And that's the only reason. And Judas would criticize that because he wanted to see that money in his pocket. But you know what that did, that ointment? As she breaks it, that fragrant ointment. Uh, somebody just told me last night that their dog got sprayed by a skunk. Um, and and if, if you've ever had that privilege uh, of having, your, and then they run in, the dog runs in your house and on your couch and on your floor and, you know, rolling all around and pretty bad, right? And it, and it doesn't leave when the dog leaves the house. It leaves that impression, that mark, it's all you can smell. Well, that's what this oil would do. And wherever she went and wherever Jesus went and whoever was in the room would be touched by her sacrifice. Right? Don't think it's a small thing by the sacrifices you make and the things you do for God's kingdom. It matters. John is recording it for us and remembering how big this was. Huge deal. Huge deal. Right? The things you do for Christ, the things you do for the Lord, it's a huge deal. Even if you're criticized for it, pointed, people are pointing their fingers. What a waste. It's not important. Don't do that. 
What she did impacted a lot of people. And Jesus loved this family. And, and his love doesn't mean you're immune to pain and death. It says this, Therefore the sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So they send a messenger 20 miles, right? That sounds like something I would do. Josh, go do this. Or grab one of my kids. You know, you got to travel, got to run, got to walk, got to go somewhere, go out to the woods. I send them out to the woods sometimes. It's hunting season now. Josh, go do this with the tree stand or go do that, right? Because I don't want it. And they, so they send somebody. It's 20 miles one way. And they say, they don't even use his name. Lord, behold, the one you love is sick. Right? They know. They know that Jesus loves their brother. Right? And, and uh, they don't say the one that our brother loves. It's not based on our love. Right? The Bible says uh, that we love him. John records this in his epistle. We love him because he first loved us. It's a reflection. Our, our love is a reflection of him first sharing his love with us and dying for us. Right? So she doesn't, she, it's not like, oh, Lord, the one, don't you know how much Lazarus loves you? You need to do something. She bases it not on that limited love because ours is limited. Ours can be fickle. Our love changes with circumstance sometimes. When things are going great in our life, finances are good, you know, things are, man, I love, thank you, man, we come here, we got both hands raised, right? Things are bad, man, our hands are down. Crud, our tax, September, our school taxes are due. What the, I forgot to put any money away for them, right? And, and, and our love can be hinged on circumstance. His isn't. The Bible says in Hebrews that he's the same yesterday, today and forever. The Bible says in Romans that he loved you at your very worst and loved me at my very worst. At our very worst. And he still loves you today. Still loves me today. And they don't tell him what to do. Lord, you, you know, they're probably thinking it. Lord, the one that you, sit, the one that you love is sick. We know we're going to find out that they're thinking, Jesus, you've got to get here ASAP. Right? Get on one of those chariots. You know? Whatever. You got to get here, Lord, right now. It's the one that you love. They don't tell him. You know, I can tell the Lord what he needs to do. You guys maybe don't do that. You come get in a situation and you're like, Lord, I just trust you completely. Just leave this in your hand. No, we're telling the Lord, do this. This needs to happen. This needs to. This has to happen, right? We can tell. Well, I mean, there's some wisdom here. They're not telling God what he has to, telling Jesus what he has to do. They're just making him aware. God, we're coming to you on the basis of your love. Your love for this man, our brother. We're, we're, we're making you aware. That's the best place to be. Lord, I just want to let you know this is what's happening. You know, but I don't see clearly. I don't have the full picture of what's going on. And it says, verse 4, 
when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. Now, he doesn't necessarily say he's not going to die, but what he's saying is the purpose is not just death, because we're going to see the purpose is going to be resurrection. The purpose is going to be uh, one, of the, one of the miracles that John records in his Gospels that he says these things are written. Not everything is written about Jesus in, in this Gospel. Not everything that could be written because there, there wouldn't contain, the books on planet Earth wouldn't contain what could be written. But I've selected these few miracles that you might believe. right? And this is one of those miracles for belief, for faith. And, and he doesn't say that he's not going to die, but there is a purpose in what's going to happen. Because Lazarus is going to die. And, and, you know, it doesn't take long to read this. You and I could probably read this. Maybe somebody read this this morning in their devotions. You probably read it in five minutes or four minutes. But we're going to see that they sit on this and, and Lazarus dies. He'll be dead for four days before Jesus finally shows up. It takes a little while for, for them to process this information and what's really going on. He says it's, it's not unto death. That's not the purpose for this. But it's that the Son of God might be glorified through it. It's for the glory of God. Man, that was the disciples when they were in a storm. They're waking Jesus up. Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? Like, don't you understand what's going on? We're about to die here. And sometimes that's how we feel. Lord, don't you care? Don't you understand how I'm feeling and what I'm going through, what we're doing? But there's a greater purpose. And his, his word's always going to be under attack. That's the foundation. Matthew chapter 7 talks about building your foundation, your walk with the Lord on the truth of the Word of God. Knowing the Word and doing the Word. That's a foundation. Right? There's a purpose in death. I remember a quick story. Uh, uh, it was 10 years ago now, actually, or 11. Um, I started having, you know, uh, my, my parents were divorced when I was very young. And, and never really had a lot of contact with my dad. Had some, but very little. And, and I, I moved out of town and moved out of town on the other side of uh, Silver Lake up in, in the country there. And I started having dreams about my dad, like that he was sick, that, that you know, and it was just really heavy on my heart. I hadn't talked to him in a, in a long time. Haven't, hadn't uh, thought about him, but I started having these dreams. And then my sister said, uh, this is kind of the story. It could be a little off. But my sister was having dreams, too. Had a dream. Hey, have you talked to your dad? I just had a dream that he was sick. Or, you know, I had a dream about him. About him. I'm like, man, that's so weird because I did, too. I had a dream about him. And, and so it, it was kind of went on for a week or two. And then, uh, and then Marissa went to the doctor and saw my aunt there, my dad's sister. Hey, are you, do you know Harley Domer? Yeah, I'm his sister. How's, how's Harley doing? My dad's name was Harley. He's not doing good. He's dying. So made this connection because this, it was broken. I never, you know, just didn't have a relationship really with that side of my family. My dad was out of the picture, and, 
you know, that side of my family was out of the picture. So I reconnect with my family on that side, uh, my dad's side. And I fly to Florida. My aunt flies to Florida. Uh, one of my sisters flies to Florida. And I get to share with my dad. Uh, and, and I was down in Florida for probably four days, five days, somewhere in there. Very difficult watching him go through uh, some, you know, he had cancer, throat cancer. They had operated and, and uh, removed it, but he continued smoking. So it, it came right back and, and, it, and it grew around some arteries in his neck and different things. And so it was, that was it. But I got to share the gospel with him. I got to tell him, about, and, and, you know, I just remember him telling me, I want to be where you're going. I want to be where you're going. You know, that was one of the last things he said. We went back and forth, though. You know, this is a, a, a battle for a soul. It's an eternal struggle. And we went back and forth. And I remember just sharing with him and sensing all this warfare. I called Lee up, hon, pray, pray. But, you know, not only do I believe my dad received the Lord, that I'll see him someday again, probably. I'm hoping. You know, that's, that's my hope. I can put my hope in that. But God reconnected me with my aunt, my grandmother on that side, and they got saved. My grandmother passed away. I think she was a Christian. So God, through death, through some hard things, because it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, it's coming. Death is a reality, never from the beginning, but death is real. And God uses it, and he can bring life from that. And so... He says, the sickness isn't under death. That's not the bottom line plan here. There's more to the story than that. There's more going on than you can see. But we have to trust the Lord. Lord, I trust you. I don't know what's happening. I don't get it. This hurts. And it says, and what John says here now in verse 5, he uses a different word for the word love. He says, Jesus loved. So this is John's perspective even on the whole thing. He says, and, and listen, I want everyone to know that Jesus loved. That's agape love. That's a perfect love. That's a love that only comes from heaven. It's different from the word love uh, that's used in verse 3. That's phileo love. That's a brotherly love. And that's great to have that with the Lord. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus said, I don't call you just servants, but I call you friends. But beyond that, John is reminding us that Jesus really loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus with an agape love, a deeper love. And that's really part of what Jesus is doing. He's taking them just from this friendship love to a deep agape love. Turn to 2 Corinthians with me just for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because there's purpose in our pain sometimes. It says this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, it says a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Literally, it's a, a word 
that we use for the word gift. Like, this is a gift, right? I, Lord, I don't think thorns are gifts, but Paul says it here, right? A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Lord, take this. It's hard to bear. It's hard to take. I can't handle it. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. He didn't take it. He could have. But Paul Paul realized that this was a gift, that God gave me this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says this. Here's Here's his declaration. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I'm strong. Right? When we're at our weakest, most vulnerable, we got a place to go. We can rest and lean on Jesus Christ, and man, he wants to give us strength and walk us through those times. The trouble is so many people start angry, which lots of us do, man, and we question, but we never give God time to comfort, console, remind, encourage, build up. And Paul said, man, it was three times I prayed. But there was purpose in his pain. Paul was a powerful minister of the gospel, a writer of much of the New Testament. And God used him. In verse 6, it says, And when they heard that he was sick, he stayed there two more days in the place where he was. Hard to reconcile his love with our disappointment what we think it should look like with what maybe God is doing. God, that's not what I expected. Jesus, you're staying two more days in that place. That's, we need to see the end. Jeff's going through uh, Genesis right now, the life of Joseph. And we see this man who so many promises, the call of God on his life, 20 years in Egypt as a slave goes from bad to worse to worse, and then second in command. But if you don't wait the time and take the time to see, man, God, what do you have for my life? You don't, you don't see all the, the, the uh, chess pieces falling into place, but God does. Right? And, and I think Jeff read it last week or a couple weeks ago, Psalm 105, that he sent a man ahead, Joseph, right, who suffered that he might save them all alive when it came time, 20 years later when the famine came, that he sent him ahead, that there was a purpose in all that suffering and everything that Joseph went through. There's purpose in it. And we get very short-sighted and nearsighted. That's something. And miss out on maybe what God has. And then it says this, and after, after this, he said to the disciples, all right, let's go to Judea again. And disciple, the disciples said unto him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there, right? Not are we going there, but are you going there? Have fun, right? That's going to be tough for you, Lord. Two groups of people can show up, right? 
One person with the perspective, man, my brother's sick. The other ones, uh, they want to save their neck, save their hide. Two people can, can look at a situation, it can be totally different for them because their, their lives are different. One group, this family wants Jesus to come. They really don't care that Jesus is risking his life to go there because they really want to kill him there. This is about you know, a couple weeks away from his crucifixion where they're going to take him and beat him, crucify him. Maybe it was John, John was maybe the one, one of the ones that said that. Lord, are you going there? Maybe it feels bad. But we see through a glass darkly, the Bible says, Corinthians says. We don't have the full picture. And we never do. Like, there's not a day when you wake up and say, finally, I get it. I get all, everything makes sense to me now. Right? No, it's not going to make sense. Right? We're finite people. But there can be two perspectives, and that's what's going on here. Lord, are you sure you want to go there? They're going to kill you. They, they didn't understand that was Jesus' plan to go and die. And Jesus says this in verse 9. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And these things he said... And after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him. And then his disciples said to him, Lord, if he sleeps, will he get well? Isn't that good that he does that, right? If you ever get sick, isn't it? don't you want to just go take a nap sometimes? Like, oh, God, you're at work, pushing through, pushing through work. You're like thinking of your bed and your pillow and just going to lay down, right? If you sleep, it's good, Lord. What? No, that's a good thing. Why, why would you wake him up? Like, send him some chicken soup. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. What? That doesn't make sense either, Lord. I can't reconcile that in my mind. I'm glad for your sakes that I, I was not there, that you might believe. Nevertheless, I'm going to him. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but there's a clear plan that God sees, that his path is on. And, and like, you know, thankfully, we map out our plan and pray, God, you've got to do this, 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 and this. And he's like, I love you enough to say no. It's not what I'm going to do because my plan is bigger than that my plan's bigger than that and then it says this and Thomas thankful for Thomas right one of those guys that kind of says says what he's thinking he's similar to Peter a little bit Thomas who's called the twin or Didymus said to the fellow disciples, hey, let's all go that we might die with him, right? You know, you never meet the twin, uh, and, and probably because it's us, right? We can, we can say the things Thomas says and, and do the things maybe Thomas does uh, because the Bible says, James chapter 1 says that, that the Bible's a mirror that we look into, right? So often we read it, 
And it's like, man, I can relate to Peter. I can relate to Jacob. I can relate to Thomas. I can relate. And, and, and the Bible just comes alive to us and speaks to our heart. And Thomas is like, hey, well, let's all go die. That's good then, right? right? Thomas doesn't get it either. But this is for him too. And when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother, right? Thank God for people who are good comforters. Thank God for people in your life who don't just tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear, man, that they're sensitive to the Spirit. They're willing to tell you the truth when sometimes it hurts or it's hard. I remember a story, I've probably shared this before too, but uh, when we were, when my wife was pregnant with Lydia, uh, my aunt and uncle that I was very close with, they were pregnant uh, also at the same time, and we went to all the birthing classes together, we'd drive to Dansville, and then we'd go to that truck stop restaurant for some reason, I don't know why, we'd go to our birthing classes there, and then go to that truck stop for dinner, um, and we did that for however long those classes are, you know, weeks. They're probably, I got to believe, six or eight times, six times. And we were just anticipating. We're working on our, you know, nurseries and, and different rooms and, and anticipating having babies. They were having a girl. We were having a girl. And then I got a call a couple days before. They were ready. They're gearing up. We're calling them. I'm teasing them, texting them. They call me up, Harley. We just went to the doctor's. The, can't find they can't find a heartbeat like oh no no sorry and you know the the baby the little girl that they were having that would have been probably six or eight months older than Lydia you know had passed away right you know she carried uh, Rachel full term had to actually deliver her uh, and but she wasn't alive and I remember when they called me, all like you know, you know, theology, and that's and and you're going to see Martha coming coming to Jesus. She's got all her theology in line, all her theologies in a row. And I'm like, what do I share with them, Lord? Tell me what to tell them. I've got you know, you know, the story of David when his son dies, and all these different things. And Lord just said, Harley, weep with those who weep. I'm like, that's all I could do. Just go there. I'm not just not going to share a bunch of scriptures that they already know, right? And that's not bad. That's what God's telling you to do. That's what a good comforter, somebody who's sensitive to the spirit, that's what people who come alongside you in your pain, that's what the body's meant for. God just said, weep with those who weep. That's what he told me. And then, so that's what I did. Like I could have gave them all kinds of doctrine and scripture and tried to sure up their faith. It's great to have people in your life who are sensitive to the Spirit. Just want to come alongside you and love you in your pain. And that's what the body's for. That's what we're here for. That's part of what God does with the church. That we can comfort one another and encourage and weep. There's also people out there who make things worse, right? They're not helping. They're making it worse. 
Faith isn't being built up, it's being brought down. Verse 20 says this. And Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, he went, or she went and met him. But Mary was sitting at the house. She stayed. Now Martha said to Jesus, can you picture this? Something maybe we've all done. You question the Lord. Martha's a strong, fearless servant. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we get it. If you were here, if you cared, if you only cared, that's what the disciples said. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing, that we're dying? Don't you care? And then it says... uh, Verse 22, but even now, this is faith, what's she asking here? But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Right? What, what is she saying there? Because in a, you know, in a, toward the end of the chapter here, they're gonna, Jesus is going to say, remove, roll the stone away, and they're going to say, Lord, it's been four days. He's, he stinketh, King James, right? The decomposition process has started. If you would have been here, but she says, I'm giving you another chance to come through and to do what I say. And sometimes we can have the tendency to think the Lord loves other people more than us. He's more concerned with other families than he is for us, with other situations, because they turn out differently. Because that's not happening in their family, but it's happening to you. And all that's going on in Martha's head. She doesn't know what Jesus is about to do. She's blaming him and and giving him another chance, and she's got her doctrine there. Listen, it says this in verse 23. Uh, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. He's, this isn't it. This isn't the end. Your brother will rise again. And, and Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I get that. Right? I understand what, what, what life after death is. I understand all those things. But what do I do with my hurt right now? And, and Jesus is meeting her, uh, and he's so, he doesn't say, what do you question? What do, you have no right to question me. He just comes alongside side of her, and he encourages her, and he loves her. He builds her up, speaks truth to her. She has the right doctrine and theology, but that's about to become a reality for her. Jesus says this in Matthew 22. I'm not the God of the dead, but I'm the God of the living. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These people are alive. They're not dead. This isn't the end when you die. This isn't the end. And she understands that. Your brother's going to rise again. I know. I, I get it. And then we get this, these powerful verses. Jesus says unto her, I'm the resurrection 
Verse 25, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. It's not a place. It's not a thing. He says, it's me. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. What a promise. What a promise. And he says this, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It isn't just what I'm going to do, but it's who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And my grandmother passed away two weeks ago today, and she was 100, 100 years old. Uh, and Sunday morning, 9-11, I got a call. You know, she passed away in the hospital. And, you know, 100, that's a that's long life. That's, that's a long time, you know. But the, when I was looking at her, I'm thinking, man, she's about to get an upgrade. We're in the hospital, and she's breathing, long breaths, you know, shallow, like spaced in between. I'm like, man, she, she has no idea probably what's about to happen pretty soon because she's about to shed this tent the bible says that this that's all this body is it's a tent right we can doctor it up lose some gain some hair all those different things paint it up it's still just a tent you know you put the 3m you know waterproof stuff on it it's not helping it we're fighting a losing battle my grandmother got an upgrade two weeks ago she went from a tent to a mansion. And at, when, when she did, uh, my uncle was there. We were, we were fighting over who's going to stay. It's like I left there at like 1 in the morning and got a call about an hour later. And, and my uncle's reading to her Psalm 23, you know. And that last verse in Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as my uncle read that verse to her, she, that was her last breath, right? And she went from hearing that verse, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to being in the house of the Lord forever. That's it. A change. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? You're in one of two camps today. Turn to, to 1 John chapter 5, just for a second. And then we're going to close up pretty quick here. 1 John 5, verse 11 says this, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know you have eternal life, and that you might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You're in two camps here at the church. You're either in Jesus Christ or you're not. You're either going to heaven or you're not. You either have eternal life or eternal death. There's not another option or another choice. 
There's two destinations. And some people think they'll be living if I make more money or if I had a better career or this relationship worked out. And Jesus said, now I am life. Some think, people think they'll have eternal life if I tithe more, if I attend church, or if I do good things. And Jesus is like, no, I'm the resurrection. It's in me. And because that happened, we have these verses of encouragement. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe, right? Her doctrine's good but it's being strengthened. Yes, Lord, I believe, verse 27, that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, hey, the teacher, the master has come and he's calling you. He's calling for you. He says, Mary, you need to hear this too. You need to hear this. And, and, and Martha you know, I can probably be more like Martha. She, I need to be reminded of doctrine, the truth. I've got it, but remind me. Keep telling me. Uh, Mary's going to be different here. We're going to see Mary's different. Uh, you know, she's always sitting at the feet of Jesus. She doesn't necessarily need to hear. She knows her doctrine. She just needs to, to sit at Jesus' feet and cry. And Jesus gives Martha answers. Here's doctrine. I am the resurrection I'm the life, you know, your son, your brother's going to rise again. Mary, what's it say in verse 30, 35? Jesus weeps. He just is so compassionate. He just weeps with her. She, she comes and sits at his feet. Verse, verse 29 says, as soon as she heard that, that Jesus was calling for her, she arose quickly and came to him, and Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews were with her in the house, comforting her. And they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out. And they followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she just fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit, was troubled. Where have you laid him? They said, and they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. It's packed with meaning, isn't it? So much could be said about Jesus just weeping with those who weep, right? He just, he just doesn't tell us to do it, but he does it. Isaiah 53 said, says that he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with all of our grief. Psalm 56, 8 says that he gathers our tears up in a bottle collects everyone. He knows what, what we're crying about. Acts 9, when he came to Saul, he said, well, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He feels our pain. He feels the pain of martyrdom and, and persecution that we're experiencing. Matthew chapter 9 says you know, that he sees these people as sheep with no shepherd and it says he has compassion on them. Right? Compassion is your pain in his heart that he cares that much. That's who Jesus is. And so he just, he weeps with Mary. 
And then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And some of them said, couldn't this, not this man who opened, here's one of the bad, here's one of the comforters maybe you don't want to hang out with. Some of them says, couldn't it not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying too? Right? And that can be all of us. We all can be that. And we're going to finish up right here. Verse 38 says, And Jesus again groaned in himself. And he came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and the stone lay in front of it, uh, very similar to the, the tomb Jesus would be in. And not many days from, from now. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of whom was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, didn't I say to you that if you would believe that you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Right? Jesus is praying, we're going to find out here, for our sakes. He says, and I, say that, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, said to them, loose him and let him go. Turn with me. We're going to close up. I keep telling you we're going to close up. That's so you have patience with me. Ephesians chapter 2. Such a picture here of you and I outside of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, love in which he loved us, says, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What can a dead man do? What could Lazarus have done to get himself out of that tomb? Nothing. Nothing he could have done. He was dead. That's you and I. We're dead. But his great love with which he loved us he tells his disciples and the people standing around, roll that stone away. And then he calls them from the dead, Lazarus, come forth. Calls them by name. Same way he's called every single one of us. Calls you by name. and Calls you out. And then he asks his disciples and the people standing around, hey, loose him. 
Take those grave clothes off of him. Right? Jesus is the giver of life. We're dead. We're dead. But Jesus is the giver of life. He calls us. Dead men can't do, it's not like we can, we can do a little bit. No, you can't do anything. It's Jesus' love. He calls us and saves us and breathes life into us. The disciples, what do they do? Jesus in Matthew 28 didn't say, hey, go make converts. I want, you guys got to save people. No, he said, go make disciples. Go get yourself in somebody's life that I saved, that responds to the gospel, and go help that person. That's our job. It's small. Almost like when your kids help you do a job at your house, you're like, it's faster if I do it, but we let them do it, right? Please don't cut yourself or hurt yourself, but I'm going to let you do this. That's, God just lets us be a part of it. He calls us to disciple people, to get into someone's life, come alongside them, somebody that, that Jesus is called by name, called out of the grave. You're in one of two boats. You're either God, Jesus is calling your name to come out because he wants to give you life. Your, your response is to walk out of the tomb. That's it. Just respond to the life he's giving you. Or you're one of the disciples. Should be in somebody's life. Should be talking to someone, encouraging someone. Discipling someone, loving someone, helping take the grave clothes off. It's our job. And if you're someone who has responded to the gospel, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. You know, it's amazing. I look at, if you read chapter 12, what happens with Lazarus. I'll just read it. You guys can stay there in, uh, in Ephesians. says this, right after, right after Jesus calls him, tells him to let him go, many of the Jews who had come, verse 45, to Mary and had seen these things Jesus did, they believed. Verse 46, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told, they told on Jesus. Can't believe it, what this guy's doing. Right? They're, 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 they're like, hey, it's getting worse out here. Jesus is now he's getting a bigger following. And then we're going to see, if you've responded to the gospel in chapter 12, you know what happens? These same people, they want to kill Lazarus. Like, let's kill the guy. And that's what happened. God uses your life as a testimony in this world that he's breathed life in. He's reached into that tomb, called you out. But there's, you have a real adversary. Peter says that the, the devil as a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour. There's a real adversary for your soul. I know it's late. We've got to close up here. If, if, you, if you're in a camp where you've heard God's voice today, man, come up, we'll pray. You can pray at your seat. You can pray. You don't have to come up here to pray. Jesus loves you so much. Respond to his calling because 
You're only going to get so much opportunity. Pretty soon, your heart gets hardened. That's what Hebrews talks about. Your heart can get hard. It can grow hard, and it's hard to hear God's voice anymore. If you, quit say, if you keep saying, no, 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 it's hard to hear that voice. Respond to his call. And if you're a believer out there, get in somebody's life. Jesus is coming back. Okay? Lord, we are just so thankful, God, for your love, for the truth of your word, the power of it, Lord, the simplicity of it, God, that we're yours. That you care so much, God, that, that uh, you've, you've given us uh, power in this life. Resurrection power, Lord, to live different lives, Lord, that we can leave a mark wherever we go and imprint. Thank you, Lord, that you breathe life into us, Lord. Those of us who are saved, we're born again here today, God. I pray for people this morning, Lord, who that hear your call, sense, sense that you're calling them out of the grave, Lord. I pray that they would. God, it's so simple. That's where real life begins, that you're not only the resurrection, the author of eternal life, uh, but you're the author of life, real life, satisfaction, satisfaction in life. We just give you our hearts, our minds today, Lord, and, and just uh, lift these guys up to you, Jesus, in your name.